Hello, welcome to the Hope Show. We're back again. Tonight's a show with a bit of a bit of a difference. Uh, we, I interviewed Richard Brown during the week from the band The Proletariat, and that's coming up um, after I play one song, uh, the interview with Richard. Um, it was a very interesting chat. I tried it a couple of weeks ago, um, and <laughs> it didn't turn out. Uh, it didn't record. Um, Richard's uh, based in uh, Rhode Island and over in the States. Uh, and he gave me it was kindly gave me up his time we had a good chat for 45 minutes and i went back and saw that the recording didn't record such as life i suppose that's the way it goes um so tonight's show is is really given over to a chat with richard uh, from the band the proletariat and and with a main emphasis on al- his album or their album move which came out on boss tunage uh, a couple of years ago um, and it was a very interesting chat. We spoke about a lot of things, and they're quite a political band, so it was good to good to have a chat with them. But before we play the proletariat, I'm going to start to show off tonight with a song um, from Petrol Girls because it's uh, an album that I picked up recently, um, a good album I picked up recently. Uh, Give Sweatshops the Boot um, from the Punks Against Sweatshops compilation, and we're starting off tonight with Big Mouth.
Hello? Hello, Richard. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, it's Niall. Um, hopefully, we'll, uh, well, uh, hopefully it's all recording okay. Uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at levels and settings and they keep going up when you're talking so that's that's a good sign I suppose it's got a pulse yeah <laughs> yeah yeah how are you good yeah Ta yourself yeah yeah good thanks yeah not too bad at all um uh, thanks for for doing this again and apologies for the the mix-up no, those things always happen yeah I know if I tried doing anything it wouldn't happen like that yeah yeah so how are things over there? It must be crazy. <laughs> you know what's weird is we thought it was so crazy last time. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's quadrupled that. Last week was absolutely insanity. Was it? Was it was nuts. Was yeah, it? Yeah, it was crazy. Every, everywhere. Everywhere. Wow. And 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 so you've gone from a, a situation where there's nobody allowed out on the streets or being at nobody uh, people being encouraged to stay at home and not go out to suddenly thousands of people on the street mm -hmm. it's in uh, you know the, between the uh, between all the people that were out in the street last week and f certain states like Florida Arizona and Texas having almost no restraints before they opened up like an hour after the whole pandemic started yeah we're fine we're open all up um, I guess all three states had the three worst days of uh, spikes as far as cases since the whole thing started wow. so Wow, I'm sure it, it's almost like it's been forgotten. The virus, it's they're, they're moving on. The Republicans are having their convention, and they're going to stop. If I, I'm just going to like start the interview, um, just about because you formed in 1980, and you know why? Why did you want to play music back then? Back then, it was there were so many new bands. It was there were a million bands everywhere. And Boston had a really lively scene earlier than when we started. It was like the Real Kids and DMZ, Jonathan Richmond, and then as I started going out and seeing stuff, there was Mission of Burma and um, La Peste and a bunch of those bands, and they were they were really good in a local scene to see. And then, you know, nationally or internationally, in our case, the Clash Clash were a huge influence. They, lyrically, they they changed. They didn't really change the way I thought, but they kind of reinforced it and. Um, yeah, I would say we were greatly inspired by the class class early on. And you saw them play. Yeah, I saw them twice. Yeah. And they were they were unbelievable both times. There was one where um. They, the bouncers at the Orpheum Theater in Boston were were really roughing up the kids in the front, and Joe stopped the whole show, and said, um, "Until the bouncers are removed, we're not playing another note." And then they just sat there. Yeah. On the stage. Sitting down, talking to people in the crowd. Phone calls were made. Evidently, the promoter got them to get the bounces off, called it all off, and then they went back to the set, and the place erupted. It was it was stunning. Yeah, yeah, there was a kind of magic. Get your number 
and and even like for other gigs around Boston, what was it like? You know, back in late seventies and eighty, when you go to gigs, I th- we we briefly mentioned before that there was almost a fear, wasn't there? And there was almost there was the adrenaline of potential violence or something, or uh, it, it would depend on where it was. Yeah, there was always. I mean, the Boston hardcore scene, which we were kind of on the fringe. It was it was a violent scene. It was probably the most violent in America. It was there was a huge um, straight edge contingency where and and the pits were insane. But prior to the whole hardcore thing really going crazy, you'd go to places like the Rat. You go to um, places like Cantones. It was just barish little tiny places and. When you come out, especially from the Rat, you'd be right directly across Kenmore Square, which was was a giant disco. So there was always like almost like a culture wars going on between the the disco kids and the punks. And if you happen to be outnumbered, you could be in for a rough night. <laughs> yeah, but you still but you still kept going back. Oh yeah, it, yeah. It was, <laughs> When you're that young, it's it's kind of yeah, it was kind of exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you might have to run fast, but <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, you you were playing music for a while. Um, but was being in a band to you is it is it entertainment? Was it a call to arms? Was it a, you know because your songs there's a there's a strong message to a lot of your to to all your songs. So is it purely about the message, or you know is is it a, is it the mix of entertainment as well? I think it's probably I'm not sure where the entertainment will come in it probably goes I would say like 80% message and 20% the camaraderie I just the the feel of being in a band and it's like you four against the world a lot of times if you're out of town and and you're in a place and it's just the four of you and I've always enjoyed that the, the rides to the shows even if they were like four or five six hour ride it it bonds you and uh that's something when we're not playing that i really miss okay. all right and going back to, to to um the well not the early days but going back you stopped like the band stopped so how come how come you stopped playing and then why start again um you know jump forward whatever it was 20 odd years later yeah it was actually 30 years oh. later um the the initial breakup was at that point there we got together in 80 and it was like 84 and headed into 85 and you know for years things you know you just don't get on all that well with people sometimes and you get on each other's nerves after four or five years and there was issues about whether we wanted how far much much touring we wanted to do because at that point there Peter had gotten married and you know everyone had things going on in their lives and then um Tommy, the drummer, and I, we left, and we were briefly replaced by um, Laurel and um, Steve Welch, who became the drummer, and they they recorded two songs on um, Indifference with that lineup, and they included them with it, and they also um, they played a couple shows, but that was very short-lived. As far as what brought us back 30 years later was the reissue of Soma Holiday on vinyl, and we... Would, while talking over the um, specifics of it, Peter was like, why don't we do some shows? And I said, like, okay. And Frank, the original guitarist, was like, I really don't feel like doing it. It's not something I want to do. He goes, but if you can find a suitable replacement, I, you have my blessing. And if he has any questions, he can ask us along. So we sent out a couple of feelers, and we knew Don from back in the – 80s when he was in the Idle Rich and then later in the 90s was in a Providence band Medicine Ball and we we hit it we already knew him so it wasn't like we had any hitting it off to do we got along great and um, that was the genesis of it now Tommy lives in San Francisco so that took a little bit of finagling where he'd have to fly back back and forth a couple times but he's he's a painter he's his own boss so for him it wasn't that bad and initially that's how the okay. how we reformed great and and but was writing new songs an important part of it for you? You know, um, was it a case that ah uh, yeah we'll play some of the old stuff, but you know if we're back together we need to start writing some new songs. 
it, it's funny is that we were sitting there saying like, you know, this, we get this down, we get this down, and we started thinking of like, oh, what about other new song, old songs we could do? Could we do this? And then I was like, why don't we just try writing the song? And so we wrote Scab, and that was the first song we wrote together with this lineup, and we played it out the first four shows that we did in uh, in conjunction with the release, the reissue of um, Soma, and it went over well. It kind of fit seamlessly in the set. So then we kept writing more and more and more, and we basically wrote the Move album within probably like eight or nine months. We wrote the material. Which were just as just as poli- political, um, you know, thirty years later. Um, but you, you, in in the meantime, you had family. So, like, did family kind of change your perception of the world? Um, you probably would. I, I probably wouldn't think so, judging by the songs, but or the the, the, the lyrics anyway. Um, but did family change your perception? No, actually, I th- I think it did. I, I think the early stuff was more, and obviously the world wasn't as messed up, and so. Somebody once said that you know, your songs are all about economics, and I was like, "Oh, like voodoo economics?" And like, "No, no, all of your songs, except for ones that are about war, the vast majority of them are about wealth inequality." And and I was like, "I, I didn't think of it." I mean, and then he, my friend, rattled off. He goes, "Indifference, the title track. It's you know, it's basically about the homeless issue." And I was like. Yeah, I guess you're right. And this one here, it's it's definitely more anti-racist, anti-police brutality, um, very pro-labor. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think it's harsher actually. Okay, so fa- family, you didn't it didn't mellow your ideals having family and compromise as you get older, and uh, that didn't turn to make you any more it's mellow. It's kind of the opposite. Yeah. Like when you're when you're alone and when you're young, like you don't think about anyone else's the consequences of what's going on for anyone else but I sure as hell don't want my kids facing you know 30 40 more years of this crap yeah 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 and and we've really gone going backwards in the United States we have reverted to like pre-civil rights the hate is just so clearly divided the country it's insane yeah yeah, it's weird. It's that the United States and um, Britain, the two places that fought fascism, the two countries that fought fascism more than any other yeah, countries, yeah. are the two leaning that way the most. Now, Alton Sterling, it's funny, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago before this happened, before the murder mm-hmm. of George Floyd. And uh, like it's almost, prof- well, it's not prophetic because it was about something that happened. But, you know, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about Alton Sterling and even put it into the context of. George Floyd. 
it's um it's there was it's strange is that um as it's happening, people were messaging me like after the George Floyd and and subsequently immediately right after there were people were like sending me articles and in, in this on Alton Sterling and all of these things that had happened and how there's um there's an art school um loosely knit art school in Boston raw project and they had several students that had painted paintings of not Alton Sterling's actual murder but of his um the press conference with his wife afterwards and his son who was just 10 or 11 years old he just couldn't hold it up he was he was he buckled and he just broke down and sobbed into his mother's arms and it, the people you see the the protests and you see violent street demonstrations and everything and everyone you know you never stop to think what about like the 10 and 11 year old son or daughter that's at home that's lost a father that all of this hell's going around and they're right in the middle of it um there's been the last few years has been have been very rough for, uh especially for black men in this country i mean the list is staggering the um national football league players association and they did it on a separate one this past week all young black star football players stood there and they ran down the list I'm Tamir Rice I'm Alton Sterling and then they're like suppose this was me would you speak up then and it actually did make the league issue a statement and say that they were wrong to penalize Colin Kaepernick and they were wrong to try to stunt their peaceful protests and that they would no longer be doing that I'm curious to see how it is. I mean, it's probably it is it is a business. It's probably a smart move economically for the league, but the fact that it's now at least being acknowledged, and as far as Kaepernick went back then, he didn't have players. Some players dealt with him, but the league and most of the players and overall kind of avoided yeah. it. They didn't want to get involved and. Now it's gotten to the point where you can't not get involved. You have to get involved. Yeah. It's just that big. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a brave move by Kaepernick back then, um, but you know, because he did get a bit of stick, didn't he? You know, when it when it happened. Oh, he he caught so much grief, and uh, what happened is is the right. I think that I've talked to a few friends of mine that are my age, and. There really has been, there was an article on the dumbing down of America, and we're not taught the same things in school. People for the last 30 years haven't, weren't taught what we were taught, and they've never learned about these things. And one thing is, like, Native Americans. People, my children, have never learned anything about them, other than that they kind of lay down and they went out west so they, that the Europeans could settle the East Coast and in the Midwest, and I was like... No, that's that's not how it went down. They they were they were forced out of their homes. They were killed. They were marched across the country, and they their land was stolen. And that part's never taught anymore. But when I was a kid, we were taught that. We were taught about the Trail of Tears. We were taught about things that the settlers did to the Indians to basically rob their land. Yeah. It's 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 almost like it's been written out of history, is it? Yeah, you don't even know about it. Um, where in Massachusetts, where I grew up, there was um, there was a, an Indian site, a historic Indian site, Profile Rock, which was um, King Philip's Rock. King Philip was an Indian chief, and he had a had a huge war. They were fighting the, at the time the British in Rhode Island and into Massachusetts, and the British obviously massacred them all, but we learned about King Philip's War. We learned about Massasoit. We learned about all of the Indian chiefs in our area. And kids today, it's it's not even taught. Wow. It, it, and it's like we basically, our country, we live on stolen land, to quote one of our, one of our own songs. And uh, it's, it's a shame that it's not even being taught anymore. It's just been forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Um and and then your song wealth of nations and and consumption they seem to um 
well that's kind of more about maybe economics that we mentioned earlier or like is this is that a marxist I- I- ideology to you or does does is it just an idea what's more is is that adam smith is so revered here by conservatives and well recently this new batch of republicans like the trump republicans you don't hear much about him but during the bush and reagan administrations you adam smith was always brought up that he was this economic genius the and the wealth of nations where we basically you it's it, it was a precursor to trickle down and that was where that came from as far as um, consumption goes that's just basically the gross consumerism here it, the idea behind that was is the Black Fridays of every Friday after Thanksgiving it's just a, a people trample each other into big box stores to get discounts on televisions and dishwashers and microwaves and it's it's just vulgar and gross people will wait in line for five hours they'll leave their house on Thanksgiving evening and wait in line for five hours to, so they can, at midnight they can rush into the store it, it, I think a few people have been killed in stampedes and it's it's just a sad statement on what we've become yeah yeah it certainly is um and, and another one of your songs off the album and we mentioned this the last time was uh, reach exceeding grasp um is it is it cathartic for you to sing that on stage it is yeah um in light of all that's really happened now and we haven't played it since this uh george floyd craziness it's my father was a racist and a sexist and a bigot and a homophobe and i made a conscious decision early on that you know he's provided me a home and all this but I'm not going to be like that when I grow up and um, I was hit a lot and I've never I've never hit any of my children and I never will it's this it, he left a mark on me not that one that I'd be but his reach exceeds in his grasp is he thought he was teaching me this but actually I was learning something else
it's a it's it's a powerful song you know even reading it and 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 you i'm sure it's not written in a way that you want people to feel sorry for you but it, it you know it, it it's i don't know it's a it, it, there's a sadness to the song you know um so um i i, I hope uh, it hasn't had too much of an, uh, an effect on you as you as you grew older no um my father wound up um, getting early stages Alzheimer's, and he never really got to retire. And the last three years of his life, he was in a home, not knowing what day it was, not knowing anything. So his passing kind of, it was kind of muted. It kind of, I was kind of numb to the whole thing by, it was almost merciful that he did pass. But, um, my wife had said to me, you do realize that you sobbed for days when the dog died, but you didn't cry when your father died. Wow. And I said, well, I didn't, con it wasn't conscious. She goes, no, I know it wasn't conscious, but I'm just letting you know that yeah. you were more affected by the passing of Joe the Golden Retriever. Wow. Yeah. It's tough. Um, well, I yeah, I don't know how I, how I answered that. How I would follow on from that, but um, maybe <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, it's good. But you know, it's important. It's important for us to talk about these things. You're writing about them in your in in your songs and, and coming through in the music. So, um, unless you don't want to talk about it, but it's still it's it is. No, that was about. actually, and that was the only song that's autobiographical. Oh. I've never written anything. Yeah. Previously, that was. Okay. Um. You, you do mention the role of of unions, um, and you you mentioned labour, um, and obviously scab as well. One of your songs, like, but as a union advocate, what do you think of the role of police unions? I don't think a police union is a union. Police union, police departments here have been used by by the elite capitalists to to beat down unions, and. As far there's such right there's police the police in this country are so right wing. For example, um, it was in Michigan. Now, you can't walk down the street where I live with a gun. Even if you have a permit, you can't have open carry. Now, Michigan wasn't an open carry state either, but to protest the lockdown from the virus, they stormed the state house yeah. with guns yeah. and screamed in the police face and. They did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. And I'm like, if if I walked into the state house with a squirt gun, they'd be throwing me on the ground. I mean, oh, right here in Providence, we had an issue, right? And um, a black fireman was off duty, standing outside his car with his friends, and this two Providence policemen came and he's like, I, yeah, I'm a fireman. I, I work for the city like you guys. And they roughed him up, and they threw him in the back of the car. They finally released him, and then they sent two other people out to the fire department later on trying to get him not to talk. Well, he went to the news stations, and he said, with all of this going down, and I'm wearing my Providence Fire Department T-shirt, yeah. and I tell them that I am a firefighter, that I'm in this, I'm a city employee just like them. And he actually said the police union isn't the same as the rest of the municipal workers. Okay, yeah. And it led to a really a tempest in a teapot here, but um, in the United States, cops eating donuts is a, is kind of a a chuckle. Like people, the old myth that they sit around eating donuts all day. Yeah. And Allie's Donuts, which is probably the most popular donut locally in Rhode Island decided to no longer give police free donuts or discounts because of their act because of the actions of a few which they how they state, stated it and the police in Providence in Rhode Island were up in arms and then they alleys further announced that we did it because you tried to beat up and rough up and lock up a fellow city worker that was on in front of his house because he was black and everyone thought, oh, my God, they've cut their throat. They're going to ruin their business. The follow next day when they were open, the lines were the biggest lines they've ever wow. had. Wow. I, I think most people are just tired yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And but do you think, say, from a trade union perspective, do you think they're as valid now as they were a century ago when they were just organising people in labour, or even in in the seventies, in the early seventies before Reagan and before Thatcher, when they were, you know, strong and mobilising people? But do you think they're still as valid now because of the with the new ways that people have of working? I I I don't I I think they've the power of unions is really weakened. Um, my union, we have, since Reagan was president, they, we cannot strike or we can be arrested. And so basically all we're doing is going, we just, every contract, every issue, we just have to send to a mediator. Yeah. And we've lost the power to strike to inflict damage to the company, and a lot of union membership is down so much in the United States. It's probably down at least sixty percent, sixty-five percent, probably since Reagan was president. And while they, they, I think during national elections, big unions have some clout, but I think on your everyday basis, they have a lot less clout than they did in like nineteen seventy-five. Yeah. yeah, and and do you think? It, it's it's something that is worth fighting for. It's something that's worth trying to to get unions back um, into those positions of power again. I think you almost have to. Uh, the you at least to hold to not backslide. You at least have to hold on to what you have earned, whether it was you or the your union members twenty or thirty years ago that got these things passed and got them for you. Every single time in, in, they have a new contract. We just had a new contract in my union. And every single time it gets a little bit more diluted. And they've taken to, they're basically leaving anyone in the top with 20 years plus seniority. They're not touching any of your benefits or any of your wages or anything else. They're kind of leaving it. Because they know that those are the people that would make a stink. The new people coming in, they are getting a raw deal. And if you look at it's an aging union that I'm in. Most people in my union have probably been with the Postal Service for at least 15 or 20 years. And it's surprising how mute they are. Like, you see a kid that's hired off the street that's got like one or two years seniority and you look at where you were with one or two years seniority and it's like it's a different job yeah. It's, it's yeah it's I mean who knows like 50 years from now there may be no unions yeah. left yeah which kind of brings me to this is this would, is going to be my last question um, for this because the current situation and the way it is whether it's with unions or whether it's the, the Black Lives Matter you, uh, movement um, like what is the way forward <laughs> you know you've got an election later on this year but you know can you see a way forward or a way out of this mess that we've that we're in uh, you know, right now no it's fairly bleak you start trying to to find something that that's some reason to be optimistic and um they released numbers from the makeup of who was at the peaceful protests and basically they were finding that probably 55 to 60 percent of the people at these protests, these very large protests, were white and under 30. And I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, in the if you in the civil rights back in the 60s, they used to bus white college kids from the northeast down to the south, and they would help with the cause because back then they weren't bothered but because they were white and it's kind of similar now and in, in if you find this many kids and this many young people seeing what's wrong and fighting for, for people they don't know but they're just fighting for what's right maybe some good can come from it maybe something can come out of it yeah yeah well the, 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 it could it could have be reason I mean the, there's a song on move bomb throwing practice where I had seen the crazy seven protests in Europe and thought that that's not going to happen here 
American protests consist of them standing in the street holding signs and for the most part not really being that effective. There was marches, women against Trump when he was first elected, and they were very peaceful and they got a lot of people and they got a lot of attention, but two or three days later it was, oh yeah, that was nice, it was a memory. It was kind of like pedestrian protest. This last batch was crazy. It was like it was clearly an us against them mentality and I think it shook it shook a lot of people. Richard, uh, what's the band's plans? <laughs> I'm not sure if you have any plans at the moment, or, or you can make any plans. So, um, I don't. Yeah. No, right now we're kind of in limbo. Um, yeah. I, I <laughs> there's going to be a lot less um, venues to play. A lot of them went under with this. A few of them have kind of joined together, where they've made it. They'll coming out of this. There'll be one club instead of two. Um, but it, the whole landscape is going to change. I, I don't know as far as live shows will go. Yeah. When that's going to be cleared to be allowed? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But I suppose we just have to keep somehow positive ourselves and remain hopeful and uh, keep um, keep fighting the good fight. I suppose. Yeah. At least you can sleep at night. You know. I I don't know how people cannot take a side in things. It's almost. I almost have grudging admiration for people that disagree with me than people that just don't yeah, care. Yeah, I know. I, I understand, yeah. I mean, you know, we have the the, the old the old Republicans, the old conservatives, they were just basically financial and fiscal and where the money went. That's all they cared about. And I can deal with that. I, I can deal with people having different views from me because of their religion. If they're... If they're and it and the things certain things go against their beliefs. I can understand it, but I can't understand hate and racism. I, I can't understand that how how can how you can even bring yourself yeah. to that point other than that you're really small. Yeah.
Well, thanks. Um, thanks, Richard. Yeah. Thanks, and nice depressing yeah, interview. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're depressing times, aren't they? You know, I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty um, depressing in many ways. But, you know, that's that's the reality of where we are, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, you, you get home and you, there's reason to drink. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't drink, um, but maybe I, 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 I'm finding reasons where I should start, you know. But at this stage... I, yeah, just because you don't drink doesn't no, mean it's not no, a reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you seen uh have you seen Michael Moore's um Where Do We Invade no, Next? No. It's 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 it hits nail nail hammer hitting nail on the head of what we're talking about. It's you know, here we are taught and and, and it's pumped into our heads how fortunate we are, how great our country is, how our standard of living is so great. And yet he's go he breaks it down and he goes through different countries. And he goes to Italy, and he's talking, and he, and he said, "Oh, we get five weeks vacation." Yeah. The whole country, and and you know, he's Michael Moore's looking, and he's like, "Really? There's like one percent of the population in the United States gets five weeks vacation." And he goes through the thing, and they go to they go to France, and um, they go to the school, and they're talking to these kids, and they show them Americans, um, elementary schools lunch, and they're like, "What is? Do you know what this is?" And they're like, "No, what is it? It looks like." Looks like a potato chip. And they're like, "Oh no, that's a chicken nugget." And they go, "And that's not yeah. chicken." And they look, and they go, "This is what we." Eat. And then they show them they're eating chicken. Right. You can see yeah. that it's yeah, actual yeah. chicken. And um, yeah, we we have brainwashing and jammed down our throat that our standard of living yeah. is so great. But no other place has healthcare yeah. issues like we do. Sure. Uh, there's families that have had houses and property for hundreds of years, couple hundred years, and someone gets sick and they don't have insurance or proper insurance or enough insurance and you wind up they lose everything and that's not right it, it's you, just because you get sick you shouldn't lose everything you've no, worked of course for not. yeah yeah <laughs>
okay this has been the hope show thanks a lot for listening uh, i hope you got something out of that interview it was very very interesting for me to talk to richard and thanks again to richard for doing it twice um I tried to i tried to change the questions around a little bit the second time um so the songs i played tonight uh, i started off with petrol girls and then played um songs from the proletariat album move first song i played was move then i played scab wealth of nations the murder of alton sterling reach exceeding grasp bomb throwing practice indian removal act and trophy kills thanks again for listening really appreciate it and talk to you again soon